around the NFL podcast. Is waxed, waxed, and ready for action. Gross. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. Come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Week one in the books. Week two right around the corner. And I, I really, truly enjoyed how the first week of the season ended in that madhouse in Vegas, that new facility. Well, it was a, and I feel for all the fans in Oakland who lost their team. But if you're Mark Davis in your beautiful white on white Miami Vice suit, chilling next to Charles Woodson, you're looking around and you're like, Oh, I kind of nailed this. I hope my, <laughs> I hope my dad is watching down and seeing this because I just set this organization up um, from a value standpoint and a, just a general vibe. Like the Raiders are a vibe now. And that was a fun game um, to enjoy. Uh, uh, you know, the monoculture is dead Mark, but the communal experience of watching a, 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 a great, primetime game like last night that's just fun and everybody gets to share it together in the moment yeah I, I'll just say what I tweeted out because it was the it was the true feeling I felt about the game that um, I thought that the game was essentially like the Symbionese Liberation Army of the 1970s and I was the game's Patty Hearst um, the kidnapped <laughs> victim who started off a little bit suspicious about being kidnapped by the experience but then became uh, more wedded to it, and then a supporter of it eventually. I mean, things changed a little later on, but it won me over. I mean, it was a bit of a sloppy, messy affair out of the gate, but it turned into sort of a classic, and it had a lot to do with the television experience, um, which was not the normal ESPN one for me, and we can get into that later. Well, so you well, liken I mean, it you to... Love, well, let's not save that. I mean, you, I've never heard you so excited about a television <laughs> broadcast as the Manning Brothers. Let's hear it. Well, I will... Well, you know, Dan... <laughs> well, you knew it was going to go either but... one of two ways with Sessler. He was either going to be as angry as anyone's ever been about anything about Peyton and Eli, or he was going to love it more than anyone else. And quite frankly, I'm a little surprised where it went. Mark was all in on the whole thing. And I do like, Mark, that you did equate the beginning of the the game, and which is kind of an assignment for us to being the victim of a, uh, a felony crime. Like You had to watch this football game, uh, but apparently by the end of it, it was a treat for you. It was. And I mean, just to hit on the, the Manning Brothers thing, I, I've atten- in trying in, in more things in life to not, um, you know, fo- hold up all my past pretenses and, and I guess, you know, ideas about the Mannings or something like this. I just wanted to see what they had to say. And I didn't click in until about 20 minutes in. And that's where everyone said that the first 20 minutes were clunky. From there, I have to tell you something that I think that the typical um, play-by-play man in like a tight uh, necktie uh, around his white shirt and his little sports (laughs) coat and like throwing it left and right to one athlete in the booth is over. I know it won't be because what a manufactured it, joke. Networks will run about 30 years after everyone else realizes things are over, so it's going to go on and on. But I'm telling you right now, what I saw last night made me simply enjoy the game more, and I learned five times more than I have in watching mm, any football well, big important. game. Because just the Manning sitting there talking shop with, first it was Charles Barkley. He's not bringing the football knowledge, but he was hilarious. But you got Travis Kelsey, all right? You've got Ray Rice, who I've always found hyper annoying, they actually in a more relaxed setting got a lot out of him. And then it was Russell Wilson, who was meant to be studying film, but he said, I'm going to stick with you guys all the way through this overtime because I'm learning 
by listening to you and you're learning from me. And like they're dropping mad bombs. They're making fun of Eli. There was a lot of humor. And it just to me feel, felt like a television experience made for 2021 where half the time people are watching, you know, a girl in a swimming pool on Twitch. I don't know. There's all sorts of things that people are doing instead of watching normal broadcast (laughs) television right now. And this was right up that alley. So for me, like, you know what? I thought of Wes a little bit because Wes was someone who was quite annoyed with the Monday night football announcing teams of the past couple of years. And I think he would have enjoyed this experience in a very different way. Although he is famously annoyed with Peyton Manning, you know, in his speaking. produced commercial like <laughs> ads where he is holding like a sandwich, be, not in this. trying to be funny and right and stuff. Uh, no, I am. I'm totally intrigued by Mark's in, you know, fascination with this. And I love it. It's a great subplot. Mark, are you one of those people that watch women in swimsuits in a pool? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, that was not the current me, but I, I have Twitch on my iPad and rarely check it out. But there are, you know, little girls will do and guys, all sorts of people that will take you out to dinner in like Korea for two hours and just show you what it's like. So I learned from it. There are human experiences there. That's Absolutely. a great call, by the way, Dan, on Mark Davis. We really, who would have thought? What an upset. Like, it all worked out perfect. Partly because the NFL rejected his and the Chargers' plan to build a stadium in L.A. That they were, like, there was three different plans that were proposed, and the Raiders' plans were always number three. And, and they were left out in the cold. And, and it worked out much, and you know what? much more I don't, beautifully. I don't take that away from Mark Davis either, because all, you know, my life, your lives, filled with uh, near mistakes that the fate stepped in and said, no, you're not going to do this. This is how it's actually going to work out. But as long as you have some type of vision, which Davis did, and if you follow the league, and we got to be a little bit careful here because the owners, including Mark Davis, own own us, essentially. Um, but if you re- do some research on where Mark Davis was as a uh, person in the spotlight within the organization about 10, 12 years ago, maybe check out a old Mike Silver Yahoo column if you want. Uh, and to where he is now, uh, the Raiders are on the rise in that Cowboys kind of way, where they are a they are kind of a brand, a global brand. And now the business side of things is catching up to the branding, and it's a good thing. Now they just got to build a, a good team. Right now it might be a fun team. Don't know about a good team. We're gonna get to that game in a second. We're also going to preview Thursday Night Football with the Tiny Box, who's gonna join us. Uh, at the end of the show. And then uh, we're going to have our kind of post-mortem of week one uh, with a uh, segment uh, loosely titled, you know, this, this is a, uh, a working title. How do you feel now? Or how do you like them apples? <laughs> no. How do you feel now? How about okay. now? That works. Uh, <laughs> where we uh, just kind of cycle through some teams after week one and, and have, we, have our thoughts changed? Do we have a different position based on just four quarters of play? But yes, before that, and we'll have a special guest connected to that conversation. But before that, Monday Night Football recap. Now Carr is running back on the field, and the <laughs> field goal unit is coming off. What in the world is going on out <laughs> they here? Want, they want to get closer. I guess. Second down and 14. What else can happen, Kevin? I don't know. Let's see. Carr's <laughs> going to get the shotgun snap. They blitz from the side. It's picked up. He throws an arching pass down the side. It's caught at the five. Touchdown, Zay Jones. The Raiders have won. On a touchdown pass of 31 yards. This game was so dumb. But we all had fun. Sports is the last communal experience. 
Kevin Harlan with Kurt Warner, Westwood one. Great call. Wouldn't expect anything less. Derek Carr, after a Benny Hill style mangling of the sport by John Gruden, strategically. Sending the kicker on. Kicker gets on late. Get a penalty. Why is the kicker even there? Why are you setting up for like a 45-yard field goal and there's four minutes playing overtime? Carr runs back on the field and throws a touchdown. The decisive touchdown for the Raiders, who defeat the Ravens 33-27 in overtime at the new facility in Las Vegas Allegiant Stadium. Uh, Greg, uh, wild back-and-forth game. You just It was a weird feeling in the air and uh, certainly a weird game uh, played out. Yeah, Derek Carr put it well in his post-game, you know, interview with ESPN with a little bit of like wrestling flair to it. I I like the this Derek Carr and also with a intelligent step back in terms of the look at his own career that the game was like his career. That's these huge swings. That's interesting. Like the first quarter he couldn't, you know, hit the side of a barn. He was playing terrible even in the overtime that throw to Willie Sneed you know Sneed Sneed probably should make that play but it's it's coming out too hot you throw an interception on the goal line and if the Ravens go down and score you're the goat but in the end like Carr was on fire basically from about five minutes left in the fourth quarter through the end of overtime starting with that long Henry Ruggs throw you know to the game winner and especially the 37 second field goal drive with two nails throws to Brian Edwards. To me, those were the plays of the game to set up that game tying field goal to go to overtime. It's hard to do getting a field goal, you know, without timeouts or with, you know, with, with 37 seconds or left doesn't happen very often. The last three times it's happened, the Raiders have been involved. It was that win over the jets last year. It was the loss to the dolphins uh, that basically ended the, you know, the Raiders season a year ago with Fitz magic. And then it was this one. So I give, I give him a ton of credit for playing his best when it really mattered and getting a win that you feel like they almost needed with the, the Ravens coming in a little banged up and the rest of the AFC West, you know, winning that game. I think it was a big win to start off the Raiders season. Well, I mean, you know, I remember when I was at their last game in Oakland and they tripped up in a game they should have won against the Jaguars and collapsed down the stretch and left that Oakland fan base. So, Beside itself, um, you know, a quiet riot began and then it was quelled. But you had to win this game if you're the Raiders. You're opening the stadium for your fans. Forget last season. You mentioned Mark Davis, who never even went there last year because out, out of respect for the fans. So it really concerned me when they did their very Raiders-esque thing and looked like they kept wanting to give the game away. I mean, the tipped interception by Carr in the end zone, which should never have happened, was outrageous. But when you get... Lamar Jackson to fumble twice the way he did. The first one led to a Raiders touchdown. The second one, we know what happened there. I mean, these were key mistakes by a Ravens quarterback who in the past has been tracked by ugly fumbles that have been costly in playoff games. So I think that's a lasting issue for the Ravens. I don't come out of the game thinking that differently about the Raiders, though. I think a lot of people do. I still see them as a sort of a circus ride that's going to have high highs and disappointing lows, Um, sort of a mirror image of their quarterback. I think, you know, 
I, we don't like to. I don't like when you guys point out necessarily things that I text you during the game um, without checking with me first, which you never do. But um, Dan and I were having a bit of a back and forth about Carr, where I basically said, "Look, if 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 Baker Mayfield had had Derek, well, you Carr's, tweeted it too. You I, I did too. later because I did later because I thought You're I know what's going to happen. I'm going to tweet this and then." He's going to win the game, Carr, and I'm going to have to deal with a bunch of jabronis, and I deserve it. But I Take tweeted it. Take a trip it, inside Mark's mind. It's, well, it's unrewarding to tweet that kind of thing if it goes south. But his first half was a mess, and it left you thinking this is just the same Raiders team from a year ago. But Dan kept saying, I think Derek Carr is a bit of a quasi-badass. And then a huge mistake would happen, and he'd be like, not a quasi-badass. But then two minutes later, a quasi-badass. And in the end, that's what he was. And I gave it totally to Carr last night. I thought his post-game interview um, showed a lot about why he's a wonderful teammate, too. And it was a huge night for the Raiders. I don't know if it means there's still anything but an 8 or 9 or 9 or 8 team. Um, there are signs that maybe they are. But I came out of it thinking that was one of the better Monday night football experiences I'd had um, as an adult. It was a great fan experience. And uh, if you're in that building, that I mean, that will go down as... Uh, one of the great kind of Raiders nights in a long time. Yeah, I think I think Carr is like a quasi stud. Like he's not really, but in those money moments, and yes, he threw the pick there. But I don't, listen, I don't know if that was even his fault. He put a it's little tipped. put a little mustard on it. But uh, I mean, he does step up. He, you could tell he's a quarterback that his skills aren't at the level of a Mahomes, or maybe even not even at the level of a Mayfield, but. I just think he's got a lot of moxie, and I think he's a good fit for that organization, even if it seems John Gruden's never quite satisfied. And I'm also with you, Mark, on, you know, I'm, I didn't come out of this game. We're going to talk about what what changed our feelings in week one. I feel the same about the Raiders. I think they're going to, they're kind of like a, they're like a big dumb, they're like a big golden retriever uh, of football teams. They're, they're sweet and dumb and they run around a lot and run into walls and like they're just fun to play with um but they're also like the city that they play in they're kind of a beautiful mess and so i i think there's a, a ceiling to a raiders team uh, the ravens it's just a it's a it's a tough beat there we talked about it going into that game that just seemed like a tough spot for them uh in prime time first game in vegas that stadium going bonkers uh, with the injuries that they dealt with going into week one, I still think they're going to be okay. We did the, I did the power rankings uh, on Tuesday, and I have them still in the top 10. But uh, they do have to clean up two things. The offensive line's got to be a lot better because a Raiders front that isn't known for terrorizing quarterbacks had no problem getting to Lamar. And Greg Jackson's got to take care of the football better. He said after the game, hey, that's football. Fumbles happen. It's like, yeah, it does. But if you want to take the next step, if you want the Ravens to take the next step, you have to eliminate mistakes like that because that last fumble essentially sealed their fate. I came out of this game feeling a little different about both teams, just that they look different. I, I, the first fumble is totally on Lamar. The second one I, I don't think is on Lamar. I mean, Carl Nassib doesn't get blocked by you know your new – running back. First of all, the offensive line makes the wrong, you know, setup for the protection, just lets him run in a defensive end. And then your running back who, you know, just got elevated to the starting lineup, Tyson Williams, that makes no effort and he gets hit in the blind side in under two and a half seconds. You know, you would love him to hold on to the ball there, but being aware that quickly, that that's on the offensive line, that's a protection. But that kind of gets to what I'm talking about. They couldn't pick up short yardage. The, you know, the two sequences in the game that mattered the most to me were the end of the first half where they have a short yardage situation and they can't pick it up just running straight like Ravens power or read action type 
uh, action, and they give time uh, to the Raiders to go down the field and put some points. Then at the end of the game, same situation. You're going in for the game-winning field goal. All you got to do is pick up a short yardage situation. It's second and eight, third and four. I mean, it's not like it's too short, but they couldn't just run the ball. And that's where I think the Ravens teams of old might be a little different and they'll get better as the season gets on, but he doesn't have the same chemistry in terms of doing some of those read actions. They didn't run a lot of pistol. I think that was by design. It was a lot more spread offense, four or five wide receivers. And then more than anything, Ronnie Stanley was terrible. He's an all pro left tackle coming off an excruciatingly huge injury. So of all the things that you talked about with the Ravens coming into the season, Ronnie Stanley was probably last on your list. He got destroyed all night. I mean, and he's an all pro and maybe it's just coming off of, you know, the ACL and he'll be fine week five, six or seven. But if Ronnie Stanley and Villanueva are both getting smoked all game then what do we have here? We have a lot of we have a lot of deficiencies that maybe the organization can't and Lamar can't totally make up for. To your two points, Greg, they were three for twelve on third down. Um, that's an that's atypical for the Ravens and Stanley, who has allowed sixteen pressures over the last two seasons. Last night allowed nine, according right. to PFF. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That to me was the like, bad night. Oh no. Um, and the and Raiders look pretty good defensively. They they look better. At least they look like they, they that that is something. a change you could point to because yeah. that was obviously their um, chaotic undoing a year ago. And it should be pointed out the Ravens had a fourteen nothing lead in this game. They lost the game. It is the first time a John Harbaugh Ravens team has ever blown a fourteen point lead. They were wow. I believe eighty one. That's telling too about the running game. Um, eighty one and O. And. Um, <laughs> Last, I feel like the Jets blew three 14-point leads last season. Um, final point for me on the Raiders side of the ball, Alex Leatherwood, their first-round pick, did not look good. He struggled uh, with penalties and um, did not play well, I didn't think. Darren Waller, uh, after the game, okay. after a game in which he was targeted 19 times, which is a little bit excessive, but still, uh, you get it when John Gruden steps up at the uh, lectern after the game and calls him the best player I've ever coached. And go check out John Gruden's football reference page. He's coached a lot of Hall of Fame players. And uh, last thing, Cleveland Farrell. We talk about first-round picks, like Alex Leatherwood. Cleveland Farrell, a healthy scratch in week one. Uh, Max Crosby is kind of saving that draft class by being a stud. Uh, he was picked in the fourth round, I believe, of that same draft. But Cleveland Farrell, a healthy scratch in year three. I believe the number four overall pick a few years back. Mayock's Whoa. feeling the heat. He sort of put it out there that- that I know I I know how this is and if we don't win games I'm going to be back with uh with Rich Eisen next It's year. it's more Which like a little Cle- presumptuous, you know, maybe you know pushing DJ to the side a little bit. Sounds more like Cleland farewell if he doesn't start to operate. <laughs> Nailed it. I do cuz Mike, you know, DJ uh you know, move the sticks. I I call him the, you know, smiling assassin um because he's this, you know, good-natured preacher's son and then he'll just cut you to ribbons he'll, he'll just rip you up he'll rip your heart out um uh, via social media and whatever else so what i'm telling you is he's got a little black mamba in him uh even if he's got this smiling preacher's son surface and uh mayock should be aware of that he's not going to just walk in because dj will fight back just something to track. I'm getting right. ahead of the story, uh, obviously. Yeah, we're way ahead. If no, you're win, not ahead at all. You're right. It's more, very current. <laughs> if you can win nine more games, then Mayock um, won't, be, won't have to worry about these things. 
Let's right. cut that for social. I honestly would like to, and just to see what the fallout is on multiple fronts. I know it is. We really have gotten used to saying whatever, whatever it is we want. Like, imagine if this got back to Mike Mayock. He'd be like, "Those fucking guys? Are you kidding me?" Well, he probably only knows one of us, and that's you, Greg. I don't think he has any concept who Dan and I are. I, I sleep well at night uh, and feel good that this podcast is a safe space for us I to share too. unvarnished views on our league. All right. Uh, let's move on. How do you feel now? How do you feel now? One I, I like the how about now the second time. You know, when you said no. it, when you go, how do you feel about now? How about now? How oh. about now? That, how about that's now? what makes it, I think. That's what makes the title right there. The second uh, how about how now. now. Not, we don't really like how you like them apples. No, that's tired. It's been done. It's been that's done. done. It's, right. out, it's over. Great line, but. It, it, right, right. We but we, not but, your line, though. You, you know, know it's someone not, right. owns it. That's a Damon special. How do you like them, Matt? <laughs> um, all right. Let's get to it. I'm going to throw out some teams, um, good and bad, in terms of uh, results in week one, and I'll just see where you guys stand on them. Uh, do you feel better, worse, the same? Uh, did it change fundamentally what you thought about this team leading up to the season? And uh, let's start Let's start with the team that's number five in the power rankings, up five spots. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who, of course, went to Buffalo mm. and um, delivered a classic Pittsburgh Steelers-type performance. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you on this one because you are very uh, heavily embedded in the AFC North. I think I kind of know your answer, but uh, do you are you completely sold now on all that high floor, low ceiling, uh, low uh, basement type thing? High ceiling, low floor situation with the Steelers. Is this just another Steelers team that's going to win 10 or 12 games to you now? Well, I'd say this. If, the, if we find out that over the next couple of weeks that the Bills offense um, is what they were last year, then it only raises what I think about Pittsburgh, and, and especially as a defensive team that can hang around all year long. I, I, I think that like the concerns were never the front of the defense. I mean, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward unleashed total chaos uh, against Buffalo. Buffalo was, you know, they didn't use play action as much as they did in years past, especially last year. They were a little bit out of sorts, but I think Pittsburgh put them in a very uncomfortable place. And I could see them doing that to the Ravens, to the Browns, to the Bengals in their own division and beyond the division. So I feel strongly about Pittsburgh on that front. I haven't changed my mind. The offense, though, also didn't entirely change my mind. Big Ben warmed up as the game went along. But if you go look at their ground attack it was still stuck in the mud Najee Harris played every single snap and came out with numbers that looked nothing like he did I mean we just didn't see that version of it I know they have weapons and they made a couple big plays down the stretch but I still need to see more from the offense because you can't just do it with defense so I don't feel that differently about the Steelers because I think going into the year I said this is probably a wild card team inside a really tough division that'll win 10 games and then we'll see what happens Mm. from there you felt different back in April and May. That's I sure. did, but I was riding on like a psilocybin high from a first playoff <laughs> game my team had been in since I was in middle school. So, yeah, I remember one of the early um, podcasts or mid mid off season podcasts was like the early over under ones, and I thought I thought the Steelers over eight and a half was my number one uh, pick overall, just because Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record, and I just don't see any big reason. I don't feel any different about this team. All the questions you had going into Week One kind of uh, came true. Not sure about the offensive line, not sure about the running game, not sure about the offense. They had 250 yards. Uh, we like the, I like the defense, but you know they had a punt return touchdown right in this game, and Allen missed two wide-open 
deep touchdowns, it would have made it look different. It, it was a good competitive game by like a complete team that's going to be competitive, but that, that's sort of what I expected from the Steelers. They got to show me more to, to think they, they could be more than that. I'm looking at our prediction page and I don't see them in the playoffs for you, Mark. And I, and I see also the Steelers getting just one vote from David Carr, Derek's brother, uh, to win the AFC North. So like that's kind of where things were. Seven days. Well, hold ago. on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like, yeah, he can say they're I, I still a wild think, card team. I still think they're a wild card type down. team. That's all. I think they could win nine, ten games and be left out of the mix too. I, I, I that doesn't mean because I didn't put them on NFL.com's precious little page that I quietly a week ago thought they were five and twelve. Please. Well, you <laughs> didn't say Carr wild was card the only type one. team. Though you said wild card team. All right, so, but yeah. I mean, I don't. I didn't. Sunday didn't only body rock my it. my feelings about the Steelers. Like, I just, you know, I'm not, just here as the host, notwithstanding. When you when you're telling the audience, I saw them as a playoff team entering the season, and then I go to this website and it says <laughs> you don't see them as a playoff team. You understand the the disassociation there. I just that's all. Well, I mean, I also I put predictions out on multiple formats and multiple, you know, so it's you have to check the other three or four places I predicted their finish. You're the Joker in Dark Knight. You're just an agent of chaos. That's, <laughs> that's the equivalent. Do. All right, let's move on. Oh, did you share your thoughts? I think you did, Greg. Yeah, that was good, wow. and they were they were good. They, I'm going to actually were, listen I'm back sure to they the were show. Memorable. <laughs> they uh, were trenchant. How about the Bills? While, while we're here, I mean, uh, Josh Allen and that offense could not get anything going on. Uh, Greg, do you think that is a sign that maybe the NFL caught up to Josh Dave, uh, to Brian Dable's offense or uh, let it breathe a little bit? They'll be fine. Let it breathe. The week one teams that have great continuity, but maybe didn't perform how they wanted are the ones I'm not worried about. And yet where I don't want to overreact, they Josh Allen struggled against the Steelers more than once. Not just this game, not just last year before that. They've, they've had a good beat on this Bills offense. They still outgained them by 120. Like, I still go back to that. Allen missed a couple deep throws. You know, if that starts piling up week after week, I'd be concerned, but not not concerned whatsoever. And I thought their defense played pretty well for the most part. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the defense. I'd say on offense, I'll point to again that, like, last year they were the fifth. They used play action at the fifth as the fifth most team in the NFL um, to hide, you know, the fact that they're a little run-averse. They're not a run-heavy team, obviously. Um, Zach Moss, strangely, like, deactivated before the game. Um, they were the fourth least um, play action-heavy team in week one. I think they got a little out of script. You, miss, you, you mentioned the misplays by Josh Allen. Like, they play Miami. I'm not sure that's going to be an easy test either. But, Ooh, like, Brian Dable still there. Two game. It that's is. But I, I just trust all – it's all the, still the same, you know, parts in place. Yeah, I, and I think sometimes – and this goes across all sports. Sometimes there's just a team that you struggle with, that they – for whatever reason, they're a bad matchup for you, and, and they kind of have you figured out a little bit. And it doesn't mean everyone else then figures you out, but – it seems like the Steelers would be a bad draw for the Bills come January, for instance. Uh, just uh, They just play them very well. How about the Arizona Cardinals? Okay, so we have the this NFC West where they were just completely overlooked all summer. And then they drop, to quote a, a paraphrase, a Sesslerism, an A-bomb in the desert. But it wasn't the desert. It was in the middle of Nashville on the Titans. Should we now view the Cardinals differently, or is this one of those week one games where we'll look back in a month and be like, well, that was kind of stupid? I view them different. Like, I didn't know what I was getting out of Chandler Jones. Didn't have a great month before he was gone all last season. Now he looks like the best player that's ever been created. 
Bad job, Bill, Bill Belichick. <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's a, he really could be a Hall of Famer if he, like, stacks another 20-sack season. Um, it's not a crazy notion. How about one and, more five-sack game? I'd put him right, in Canton. Do, do, do one more. I mean, <laughs> and then Kyler Murray, and this is where I'm probably overreacting, but, my God, the – the big plays he made in that game, you know, PFF tracks those you know big time throws. He led the league in in week one. Uh, the accuracy, the the types of plays no one else could make other than maybe Mahomes. It just got me feeling like, okay, here come here comes that leap Dan's been talking about, and I think it was a little more gradual than some people thought last year, but it was still good. It was good from year one to year two. But if he's taking another leap, then all bets are off, and this division and this team is nasty because their top end talent is just so good. They looked so balanced. I mean, I thought that there were going to be issues on defense in the secondary, especially the total reverse was true. I mean, they held A.J. Brown and Julio Jones to like 90 combined yards. I mean, they were non-factors. You know, Derrick Henry was shut down, which is the way to unplug the Titans. And I I look at Murray and it's like the whole thing. I think, you know, I thought the tight, I thought this was the team, the Cardinals in that division that was going to be just by force of nature they were dealing with, with the other three teams, um, suppressed, held back, and maybe the coach goes after this season. I think they basically, it was sort of an exclamation point to people like me that says, we are not milk toast. Uh, We are exciting in our quarterback. It begins right there. Kyler Murray's ceiling is completely unknown. Uh, We're only like three-fourths up the wall and I'm very excited about his play I thought the the Titans watching that game yesterday uh, they looked even worse than the final score and the highlights right. indicated uh, Derek Henry we said nine yards on ten carries and you had a offense that didn't even have a first down until like well into the second quarter is that a team that we have any concerns about it was yes. such a bad matchup that I actually am going to give it a Chandler Jones won that game as quick, as quickly as, or as aggressively as like any one defensive player can just win a game. He destroyed them. And then Kyle, like Murray's plays felt a little less about Tennessee's defense and more just like you, there's no defense for some of the plays that he made. Some of the biggest plays in the game were just incredible throws after incredible scramble. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass and and wait and see. Here's my concern. Like I'd point to when Kyle Shanahan left the Falcons um, and you leave an MVP passer and Matt Ryan behind and they never reach those heights ever again. Not the same way that, you know, Arthur Smith's going to struggle conversely in Atlanta now, potentially for a while, but Todd Downing was not a thriller um, when he was on the Raiders um, calling plays and working with their offense to some degree. It's just an unknown what that offense will be. And I think we're in an, an, in a, time period now where if you have one of those play callers that's sort of a next level guy I mean he completely revived Ryan Tannehill's career and he knew how to use all those parts so I want to see more because I think they if anything uh, the Cardinals sort of put a roadmap out there on how to stop Tennessee what have Chandler Jones well it's not just that I mean anyone that stopped Eric Henry in any game it's been a very successful way to do it but yeah, having having a guy have five sacks is also another way to do it, Greg. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a really smart. I think that's a savvy way to I'm build just a saying, team. He destroyed yeah. Luan. If Luan is is bad now and he's coming off an injury too, it's like you know these guys coming off injuries. Sometimes they don't come all the way back. Then that that's a concern. Julio's the guy I want to see, you know, warm up a little. Didn't Calm play. Down, didn't practice Greg. much. Calm didn't practice much. Right. I'm not. But it was because you need to keep the faith, buddy. Because you were the one. Yeah. When they acquired him in the trade saying everybody is saying that he's not that great anymore. 
chill out, go watch the game tape. But I, I did, you know, he didn't have an impact at all. I'm giving them a little much. bit of a, I'll give him a mulligan. I think it's like, a, for Greg, it's a chillax moment. Total chillax moment for Greg. Classic. Hey, how about the entirety of the NFC East accepting the New York Giants? I think we all feel pretty good about where the Giants are right now, even if the Giants shouldn't feel pretty good about where the Giants are. Uh, but uh, start with you, Mark. Uh, any of the teams in the NFC East uh, change how you felt about them? Not a ton. Not a ton. I mean, I think if anything, arrow up a little bit on Dallas for me because I think on offense, um, if they can produce that passing game each week the way they did, uh, you've got a potential MVP at quarterback in the best wide receiver group in the NFC. I mean, I think they should win that division. Uh, Washington looked mm. similar to me, uh, but the rest of them, we'll see. I mean, I, I feel a little better about the Eagles. I, I, I kind of like Oh, you know what? I forgot. I, I, t- I totally DL. forgot about the Eagles. It, we'll see. I mean, I, I think they are a team that's going to be feisty. If you have an offensive line that good, a defensive line that good, Jalen Hurts, I, I want to see against a non-Falcons defense before I start going too crazy. But if he just limits mistakes, like, he'll be solid enough. Like, he doesn't need to be a top-20 quarterback for them to be a little nasty with the lines that they have. I would right. say one thing, though. Sirianni also, I completely forgot the Eagles. Sirianni showed total aggressiveness in that game. I think that's a change for that coaching staff. I kind of like that. I know they used analytics left and right, but last year, none of that was present. And I think they really fit. He found an offense that really fits Hurts very, very well. So far, so good with the Eagles. Yeah, I, I think, uh, Greg, your lock of the week notwithstanding, you had a couple uh, pre-week one takes that checked out the Eagles actually being more talented especially uh on each side of the ball in the trenches I think that was you might have been money that was me it's too might have been Mark but that's but that's no, okay that just absolutely filter me. it to I'm Greg banging that Eagles drum I'm always banging that Eagles drum. <laughs> I check the tapes <laughs> check the tapes I mean you can check it NFL.com game picks <laughs> I don't well, agree I actually I honestly don't agree with the assessment at I'm not saying Greg didn't say that but I'm telling you I did so We'll have to take you at your word, but you wouldn't lie. I would never lie. It was an NFL.com article. I would not, I would not at work yeah. lie about anything, mostly. You are an honest man. All right. How about the Saints? I mean, weird game. I mean, you cannot take it away from them. 35-3 against the NFC North champion Packers. Uh, but I don't know, Greg, a little bit of a snowball type game where everything went right for one side and everything went wrong for the other. We shouldn't take too much out of it. That was kind of like where I came down on. A, a little bit. Cause yeah, when you rewatch this game, some of those plays were just crazy and they've had a rough post week one. So they've got six coaches in the COVID protocol. That's a lot. A nutritionist and a player. Hopefully it doesn't spread for them, but, but maybe even, um, more importantly, just for their wins and losses here, Marshawn Latimer is going to be out for a little bit with the surgery. Uh, Marcus Davenport, their, maybe their best pass rusher now, is going to be out um, with an injury. And I'm, I'm forgetting another injury off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, Eric McCoy, their starting center, maybe like a Pro Bowl caliber type center, is going to be out for half the season. So they quietly had the worst week of anyone for injuries. I had them as a wild card team. So... Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised to see them blow the doors off the Packers, but I do think they do have the bones to be competitive all year, maybe make the Bucks work a little bit. Those injuries concern me. I, I think for me, um, let's just look at the game itself. Absolutely. I think Sean Payton's basically um, been amped up to do this. I thought that they were going to be proven to be a team mired in too much transition that had kind of like a Patriots season from a year ago to some degree due to depth in various places. But you know what? They kind of just went out there with a DJF attitude and dropped a huge, 
um, a huge, uh, like, giant box of knives from the sky on Green Bay. And, I mean, I've never seen anything like that in week one in Aaron Rodgers' career, obviously. It, from that angle, it was marvelous, and I dig the Saints for what they did. After the week they went through, all the nonsense, like, they came out as the team that wanted it so much more. That's the thing. You could just visibly see that they were like, we want this game more than you do. Knives everywhere, stuck into the turf, into shoulder blades. Took a giant, blood huge and gore box. all over Wait, the field. Wait, do they take do they take them out of the box before dropping them from the sky, or is it just the box? No, it's like imagine like like out of one of those gigantic secret like aircraft carriers that are like half invisible. It's like eight the size of eight refrigerator boxes filled with um, knives that just gets dropped in the middle of like the Saints huddle. Wow. Is it like Wait, the Mickey, is Mickey huddle, Loomis up there? He's like ha. I, I'm no, he claims he had, space. No, he has an alibi. Like dropping knives, though. Wouldn't it be smart for him to have an alibi? He's in the stadiums. I had nothing to do with it. It was a military mistake. So it's like a Mickey Mouse type thing. Yeah, the, it's like a drone attack where, like, you know, it's like, oh, good, we'll just send a drone, everything be fine. But the accuracy isn't always the way you need it to be. Just knives right. raining down. And upon then we spend Duval. three weeks talking about in the wake of Sunday's drone attack, like. I mean, if they have depth issues, they will be tested. But they're, some of their, <laughs> some of their skill players, about? Deontay Harris and Juwan Johnson making the plays, like, they got to do it. They got to stack weeks, but those guys look like real guys right now. So if I had they, to. And we didn't know that. If I had to make a, a prediction on fool's gold in week one, I, I'm not on the Jameis Winston train yet. Uh, it was a 14 completions, 148 yards, five touchdowns against the Green Bay defense that was just couldn't get out of its own way. Um, you give credit to Winston, but the whole thing with Winston especially is like when things are going well, he can roll. But when they're, when his team's trailing, if he makes a mistake and he starts pressing, that's when things snowball in his own way. And, and when he gets tested historically in his career um, – that's when the turnovers start piling up. So I need to see more from Winston before saying that I think their quarterback situation is settled, but they, everything else about the organization and the team and the coaching was so spot on that you just, you have to give them a ton of respect. So maybe I don't trust them, but I do enjoy the Jameis Winston experience on balance. Here's my favorite uh, post game interview bite from week one. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. <laughs> you kind of need the video, the video visual as well, which is he looks to the sky trying to think what that trainer said to him that stuck with him so much, and it just didn't come. He, he covered it up. That was some like on air, you know, <laughs> skills being shown by Jameis, where he clearly didn't think of it. And he was just like, "Oh, he told us to be prepared. Let's let's keep moving." <laughs> and he's got the twenty twenty vision, but not everything is fully loaded at this point. Right? Forget the lace. Like, first of all, the LASIK guy, whoever gave Jameis Winston his LASIK, should be advertising that heavily. You know, I'm the absolutely. One who, I, I'm the one who did it. But well, he trainer, may be waiting like Dan to see where this goes. I mean, you well, know, no, you, no, he rolls soon. out the campaign hardcore this week. And then he pulls it on Sunday and waits things out. And then based on the results, he could roll it back out again and even invest more in billboards and all that other stuff. But the trainer should even go harder. I mean, maybe come up with a better slogan than be prepared. But uh, Jameis Winston's body looks totally different. And his running ability in that game was as good as I've ever seen him and was, was a pretty key factor in that game. If, if you've got a Jameis who can scoot a little bit, that is, that is something different that we did not see. Uh, early on when he was, you know, pounding those crabs. True. I mean, he wasn't exactly Fat Albert before. He was He was able but to he move. Wasn't, he couldn't 
If you look at his rushing yards, especially his first three years, three, four years, he couldn't do it. His legs picked him up uh, some pretty good first downs here. What percentage of listeners have never um, encountered any Fat Albert content? I would... (laughs) Kind of like a sneaky, underrated 80s cartoon, Fat Albert. Um, All right. Now, finally. What's the name of this site again? How about now? Green Bay Packers. How about now? And how about to talk about the Packers? We welcome on the beat reporter, the beat man for the <laughs> athletic match. Nineman, welcome to the around the NFL podcast, Matt. How are you guys doing? Really appreciate you having me. Awesome, Thanks for man. coming on. It's um, nice to meet you. It's pretty rare that like <laughs> I've never even seen your face. It, any sort of man could have come onto our screen and here he is. This <laughs> there you go. Appreciate oh, it, guys. We have no, we have actually no way to know whether this is the real match nine. You don't know, but that would be weird if there was a fake match nine that came on the show today. Um, what we're talking about here, Matt, welcome to the show. It's dumb. Um, what we're talking about here is teams after week one. Ha- does it change how we feel about them? And I feel like a guy like you who was boots on the ground was there all through the, the spring and summer of Aaron Rodgers nonsense. And then a training camp where things seemed to be back under control and then what we saw Sunday, which was just a catastrophe uh, organizationally, did it change how you feel about the team? Mm. Not drastically. I mean, all preseason, I heard them talk about their laser focus, their understanding of the magnitude of this season, um, given everything that went on with Rodgers this summer and everything that is likely to happen after this season. They, they know this could be his last season. And, and they all spoke about their uh, potential and their expectations after two straight NFC championship game losses. And Aaron Rodgers said it himself at that first introductory, not introductory, but his first uh, press conference at training camp. One of the main reasons he came back is because he knows they have a Super Bowl caliber roster. That team that I watched in Jacksonville on Sunday looks like it does not belong in this league. Now, in 2019, they had a similar performance against the Chargers in LA, uh, a a losing Chargers team, and they lost 26 to 11. They got blown out in Tampa last regular season. So you have these kind of fluke games. I'll, I'll be more concerned if I'm the Packers, if it happens on Monday night against Detroit, then they have a trip to the 49ers and then the Steelers at home after that. So Mm. Anomaly for now, if it happens again, a concern. If it happens a third time, uh, a trend. Doesn't really change the way I view them as a whole. Maybe just gives me a couple more reservations about what they're really made of this year. You know, one one question I have for you, though, because um, I, I saw this from you on Twitter, and you noted this quote from Aaron Rodgers after the game. that we He said, we probably felt like we were going to go up and down the field on whoever they had out there. So there was a sense of overconfidence. And your, your line above that um, pitch in your article was, on Sunday, they, the Packers, seem full, full of themselves, in fact, Ooh. according to the QB. And you also mentioned on your pod that... We applaud good writing. In no, the it was, I, that, that caught my eye because I thought that that, that was a deserving um, slight to a Packers team that came out a little bit too um, excited about themselves. You also mentioned on your pod that they had 27 guys, according to Matt LaFleur, who were potential team leader type, you know, elements in the locker room. So that tells you it is a veteran heavy, leadership heavy room. When I look at what happened on Sunday, how does that happen 
to a Packers team with a Aaron Rodgers with consistency at the head coach level and that met that much leadership on the roster? Hmm. That's a fantastic question. And it's something I've been trying to figure out. You know, the reason I wrote that is because just last week, Devonte Adams was at a podium inside Lambeau field and said, this is one of the hung, not one of, he said, this is the hungriest team I've been around in my eight years with the Packers. So I kind of played, I thought it might've been a little too corny, but I kind of played off it Nailed because it. Aaron Rodgers was straight up asked, were you guys too full of yourselves? And he said, yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. Now, what I don't get is how is that possible? Aaron Rodgers, you have, you know, Aaron Jones, Robert Tunyon, Devontae Adams, all 11 starters on defense were here last year. The only new starters on the team per se are rookie center, Josh Myers, and rookie right guard Royce Newman. Like the guys you have know that a game like that is possible at any minute. How do you let everyone on the team, including yourselves, let your guard down? And hmm. as you mentioned, Matt LaFleur essentially boasted to us uh, last week when we were talking about captains that he had 27 players receive a captain's vote, and 10 of those guys received double digit votes. Uh, in his two years here, he's only named one captain for each unit. So it's been Aaron Rodgers, Zadarius Smith who was not named a captain this year and Mason Crosby for special teams this year. They had so many guys get captain's votes that they named three for offense, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Mercedes Lewis, three for defense, Adrian Amos, Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark, and then Crosby for special teams. Aside from Elton Jenkins, their 25 year old left tackle who had two tackles on Sunday. Cause he uh, tackled the guy who intercepted Aaron Rodgers both times. <laughs> it's amazing time of game. <laughs> there was nobody's example worth following. There was nobody who looked like a leader out there. And football-wise, there was a lot that went wrong, but the intangibles of that energy, that leadership, Matt LaFleur said the Saints wanted it more. How does that happen to the Green Bay mm. Packers? It's a great question. Did, did you point out that Mark's question was fantastic and great? You know, you did it twice. Um, because he said he listened to your podcast. Like, that might have that might have been a little bit of it. He went Wait, he we, went next. We're level. allies. We're now allies. I mean, that's how this business works. So. <laughs> you you mentioned Zaria Smith. That that was my take. Like Rogers' timing seemed off. You know, I don't think that's gonna be a long term problem. I think they were playing a team that it was like a playoff game to them. They knew what that game was gonna mean, not just in week one, um, to the city of New Orleans, but forever. Like Fan, fans in New Orleans will remember that game forever. And I think that they were playing for a higher purpose. And so that helps explain it. I'm more curious because you've been there and we haven't had a lot of Joe Barry talk Oof. this offseason. And Zadarius Smith, you know, isn't 100% and is probably the key player. And you mentioned he's not a captain right now. There's been some behind the scenes stuff with him. Give me a little feel of like stuff we don't know about their defense. Because the defense to me was a bigger concern you know, just watching that game. Cause I just assume Aaron Rodgers and the offense will get it together eventually. Yeah. I'll mention one thing about Zedarius Smith first. He only practiced, I believe it was four times all preseason because he had a back injury that landed him on the NFI list when camp started. So we, we still don't know how it happened um, before he came to camp. And then he practiced the week they had the jets here for joint practices uh, practice very limited and then it flared back up again. And I don't know how much that had to do with him not being named a captain, but immediately after the team tweeted out the captain, Zedaria Smith tweeted, wow, with the emoji of him, the thinking mm. emoji. Well, there was like some contract stuff too. So that's mm. interesting because he is their best, you know, him and Alexander. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Zedaria Smith was a second team all pro last year. And 
he has told me that he wants to be a Packer for the rest of his career. Um, there, it's no secret. He wants an extension. And I want to show you this. I'm grabbing my phone because he deleted this off his Instagram story, but this was tweeted oh, yeah. at, this was tweeted out. I don't know if you can see this. <clears throat> this this is real story. beat reporter stuff right but here. I he love tweeted it. that he's getting a tattoo. Okay. That's his Instagram Captain. story that has since been deleted. So new piece on the way. He's getting a tattoo of a captain's chain. Oh, he's annoyed. So this he, captain thing is a pretty big deal. He's not happy about that. And, you know, it's since deleted. I like it, this. I have no reason to believe that that's fake, but it would go along with his uh, frustration that would seem to be what that tweet was about. The defense as a whole, it, it's tricky because I, I watched the game back and there were so many communication issues. Twice I saw Channon Sullivan mm. in nickel corner when they were in zone point, and I'm pointing to my left. Um, for someone else to take a guy that was cutting across the field. Marquez Callaway on the second uh, play from scrimmage of the game, nobody took him, resulted in a 14-yard gain. And then Chris Hogan on a touchdown that I believe made it 31-3, to Darnell Savage Jr. and Devondre Campbell, their new veteran inside linebacker, kind of just caught no man's land, and Sullivan is left chasing after a guy who played in a Premier Lacrosse League game three months ago. Now I know he's, he's a proven NFL wide receiver, but as I said – all these guys with the exception of Campbell since he's new, but he's been in this league. Those communication issues should not be happening against guys that have been on this defense together for the last three years. I don't care who the coordinator is. You know, it's tough to really tell how much of Joe Barry's influence is uh, part of that 38-3 defeat, but all we hear from players every single time they talk about Joe Barry is, oh, he has energy. He's a great guy. I don't care how much energy he has. If you're giving up 38 points, 49 minutes into your debut as defensive coordinator, that's not good. And his defenses <laughs> in Detroit and Washington, he was defensive coordinator in Detroit 0708 in Washington in 1516. With the exception of Washington's 15 defense, they were, you know, middle of the pack. His other three defenses were the worst or second worst in the league. This is the guy who was the DC when the Lions went 0 and 16. But, what a resume. Yeah, but Matt LaFleur just loves... Schneidman the- takes down Barry in a big spot. <laughs> Barry, hope he, hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Well, I, I apologize for rambling, but you know Matt LaFleur was in love with the fact that Joe Barry has been on Sean McVay's staff the past couple of years and was under Brandon Staley uh, on that defensive staff last year in L.A. when Barry was the linebacker's coach. He wants to bring that, you know, two shell, keep everything in front of you. Don't allow the explosive play style that frustrated LaFleur so much when they were preparing for the Rams in the playoffs last year that he said, you know what? I want some of that on my team. You know what they they should do, by the way, Matt, if they really want to um, get back at overreactionary Packers fans, just bring back Dom Capers. (laughs) Like, <laughs> Dom Capers like defense. Guy? Dom Capers defense didn't give up 38 points till his seventh game as defensive coordinator. Ooh, wow, look <laughs> at that, Paul. He did um, win a Super Bowl, Dom. He did. You know, we remember that. I remember. That was fun. Uh, so did Mike McCarthy. You know. Yeah. All right. Listen, <laughs> Matt. Before we let you go, and I know there's a national fascination with Aaron Rodgers. You know, pop psychology, and it's probably super annoying. But you know, he's an interesting guy, and I'm just curious, uh, somebody that's there. Um, cause I'm watching this guy ever since he's emerged from Hawaii or wherever he was, I think it was Hawaii. 
Um, and he's got the the weird hair, and he's dressing different. He's playing the guitar. Like, is he an entering, like the eccentric, intellectual millionaire portion of his life? And if that's so, uh, can you also uh, marry that with being a professional quarterback of great skill? <laughs> yeah. I I certainly think so. Now, uh, this is only my third year covering him, but in the past couple of years, he's seemed to take more of an outside football approach in, in whether it's with us or when he goes on Pat McAfee's show every Tuesday, talking about things that he's doing to better himself outside football. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. His mental health, all that stuff. I'm totally for that. I don't think that has anything to do with football. If anything, it, it is better because he talks so much about headspace and being in a good headspace after everything that's gone on the past couple of years, drafting Jordan Love this offseason. It's important to, to have good mental health and be in a good headspace. A, a normal person like myself would probably get my underwear in a bunch about all that stuff. But while he has certainly at times, I, I don't think it's affected his play on the field. Now, I see these wild conspiracy theorists out there saying he only came back because he wants to sabotage the team from the inside. Mm. I would love that because that would be fantastic theater to cover Great. as a reporter. Great. But That was uh, Greg's theory, by the way. But- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's really any correlation. He certainly does seem to be entering that phase of his life. Maybe it's because uh, he's engaged now and, and Shailene Woodley is having an effect on him. Again, I'm not saying that's bad, but – Maybe this is a little bit of a different Aaron Rodgers than people are loose are, are used to. Um, that may not sit well with them, but whatever floats his boat, and as long as he keeps playing not like he did on Sunday, I think all will be well in Green Bay. And that and, starts with Detroit on Monday night. And you're a Syracuse man, uh, I am. so you know journalism. You were trained in the best place to get that education, mm. and you know you do not root for teams. You don't root <laughs> for players. You root for stories. And what would be a mm. better story than Aaron Rodgers trying to implode the Packers from the inside? <laughs> I don't know. That would that would get pretty dark. Yeah, we we won't cut that little portion um, and send it out to all the Packers listeners. You saying that it's like I'd love for this team to implode. <laughs> hey, um, I, I said I said on Sunday the, the way Sunday happened was better for my job than if they had won thirty to twenty four. I mean, wow. it, oh, 100%, I know, I know people. True. I know people hate hearing that and say, "How can you do? listen?" A team that wins a lot and goes to the NFC Championship game is great. You, you always want your team to be relevant. I covered the Raiders for two years before this, and that was relevant for all the wrong reasons. Sunday was relevant for the wrong reason, and it's, part and of the it's story. great to cover. Um, I mean, match- you were here because they took a dirt nap, so that, you're right. absolutely right. right. Yeah, you're, you're blowing up. <laughs> match and he's our Tuesday guest. We don't want Rodgers. McAfee, the punter, could have that guy. We want <laughs> Schneidman, so follow him on The Athletic. Check out his podcast, Head of the Pack. And um, yes, follow him on Twitter uh, at Matt Schneidman. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Thanks guys. Really appreciate it. It's fun. All right. There he goes. Good guest. Put him in the dossier, Ricky. Absolutely. If if anyone comes on and says literally anything nice about anything that I say at all, they will be an eternal guest of the show. It is nice, Um, though. Because I knew as, as soon as you said that was a brilliant question, I said something like that. Very complimentary. I said, all right, two things. Um, we set up our guest well here. And two, Mark's going to have a good day. Like th- That's going to stick with Mark for the rest of the day as he goes on 
post podcast. And that's well, my job here is done. I mean, I, I, I'll stay on screen and, you know, do all that stuff, but I don't need to say anything else. All right. You don't, you know why? Because we're going to do a Thursday night football preview and we're going to start a new tradition here. On Whoa, the, oh, look, at her. look at this beauty. What Boom, is bang, on? bang. What's up, everybody? I don't, Connie, this is, uh, you, you are a little too done up for our taste. You I know. You got the dress down, Connie. This is the bombshell. Uh, what's going on right now? Let me explain, because this only hubba, happens hubba. when I have to do it. Um, but I had to do, like, I basically lined up my day for all of my interviews, and anything I had to do on camera is today. So then uh, that Hello, means like, all the other days I can just be lazy and not do it. So, hey, did my hair, put on makeup what's up this is the right medium for it right colleen are you prepared to offer the analysis at least the match of the analysis that you offered to last week's thursday night game which i found um you know startling i don't know if i can live up to all of the greatness from last week but i'm gonna really try i'm gonna really try okay the recap yeah you you don't have the look of terror in your eyes that we might call (laughs) on you please no Don't go to me. I, I wasn't going to go to you. I, please, please. No, don't. don't. don't yeah, do sometimes that happens. Uh, but the anxiety was, uh, well, because I wasn't like totally locked into the game. Listen, but yeah, to say the week, least, I, right? I think it's, it was clear for, for, for all of us. You weren't, you weren't new week, alone, new me. Totally. I'm ready to go. I was like really milking my <laughs> off season every second that I could. Um, but now, now uh, the summer of Connie is officially closed. So oh, yeah, you're, you're hit, you must be getting on a plane. Yeah, you're getting on a plane. Right, you're going to this game. Tomorrow, I am. Connie Fox gets on a plane. She heads to D.C., where the Washington Football Team will welcome the New York Giants. Both teams coming off losses in Week One, and Washington lost more than the game. They lost their quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Which, let's face it, we just had Matt Schneiderman on, and if you're a broadcaster or a journo, you're rooting for the story. And Connie obviously mm-hmm. rooting for Fitzmagic to be up on the dais at the end of the game because he's always so much fun. You won't have Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I'll tell you what, Connie, we'll start here as the Tyler Heineke era begins. We might not see Ryan Fitzpatrick at all. I watched uh, NFL Network yesterday, and Ian Rapport said it's on the table. It's not off the table, he said, that Fitzpatrick is done for the season. So this is oh. Heineke's show for now against a Giants team that desperately needs – Uh, a W here coming off a very disappointing week one performance themselves. I really hate this for Ryan Fitzpatrick, but I hate it even more for me because I really love doing Thursday night football when Ryan it's Fitzpatrick is the quarterback. It, it truly is. And that is something that I was really looking forward to. It's obviously not going to happen, but Taylor Heineke actually was not bad in relief of Fitzy. He came in, he only missed on four passes and when you think back to last year when the Washington team played uh, the Bucks in the wild card game, Heineke was pretty good in that game against the Bucks. So he definitely can make plays. He's athletic. He has some mobility too. So there's a, there's some similarities with Fitzy because he did scramble on a couple of plays as well. Um, and I think it's kind of uh, I think it's kind of remarkable that he's a former undrafted free agent and this is his fifth team. And now, based on what you just said and what Ian Rappaport had said, like he might be starting the whole season if that is the case. If Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't coming back, but. 
I think that this team has some good chances with Logan Thomas at tight end. He should get some more opportunities uh, because you saw what the Broncos were able to do against this Giants defense. Uh, Noah Fant, Albert O, they both put up some nice numbers, had some nice plays. But if Antonio Gibson didn't fumble the ball last week, I think Washington had a really good chance of winning. So I like this team a lot. The Giants, Hmm. eh, they have a lot more issues. Yeah. I, by the way, Did I, go I into them? heard I heard the <laughs> heard the name. I was just seeing if Mark wanted to jump in. Uh, it, I uh, heard all last week during that game the announcer saying Alberto's last name in a certain sort of way, which is the opposite of what you know, which is totally different. On the Broncos website, it says Okui Boonham. So that's what I've been going with. It's Okui not Boonham. that crazy to say Okui Boonham, but they went with, with a totally different way to say it. And now I don't Look know what's say right. It. They said like Oki Buinam or something no, I, like that. I'm, and I, I think sticking with ma- Oh, please. I, I think he mangled it. But um they that is part of um the Giants defense. I mean rather the uh yeah, the Giants defense that I'm concerned with. Like almost everything from that Giants game concerned me. I thought they had one of the worst week ones of of any team. And they they gotta win it. I mean, this these two teams both came out of week one, I feel like looking a little worse than their ceiling we're hoping for going into the season. Cause I thought this was going to be one of the more fun Washington teams to watch in a while, but now we don't have fits. I know Heineke is kind of like junior fits, you know, with that, you know, track record being undrafted fits was a seventh round pick, you know, bouncing around to a bunch of teams kind of being a freewheeling guy like that's great, but you don't have him. You still don't have Curtis Samuel. Adam Humphreys wasn't exactly an exciting pickup, but you thought like the connection with Fitz was going to be something. So maybe you don't get the total Humphreys experience and their tackles were terrible last week. The chargers were eating all game. They're starting a rookie at right tackle, Sam Cosme, who was just, who was a little lost and then a veteran Charles Leno. And so you think of the giants as the team with a bad offensive line and they probably are, but the, the Washington football team could be too. And we could be looking at a whole lot of defense well, on Thursday night. That's here's, what I'm feeling. here's the spin Connie for you lose Ryan Fitzpatrick, but Saquon Barkley now a week removed um, from the idea that he's going to see limited snaps. Now a short week doesn't help things. I don't think Saquon's going to be the bell cow either, but the Giants are in an interesting interesting position here. It's because you want to bring back your best offensive player in a safe, smart way, but you also got to win some ball games here. And you know Daniel Jones, the more you put in his hands, the greater the chance that he lets it get away. So you need Saquon to have a role and make a difference. And you need that defense, which is the reason they stayed in the division race last year, to make the type of impact plays that they made last year because they weren't happening against Denver. Well, this is like not exactly a gauntlet of a division either. So at this point, it's not, you know, you wouldn't be panicking to start 0-2. It's not great. Nobody wants to do it. It seems like the Giants do it every single year, but this is... They've done it seven out of eight years. That is is a shocking (laughs) Isn't that kind of crazy? But I also think too, for Daniel Jones, like he's in a tough position because... Most of their top, like what, three of their top skill position players are not really 100%. Like Saquon's not 100% yet, and they're trying to ease him back, but he only rushed for 26 yards in that game. Kenny Galladay, he's coming off the hamstring injury. He doesn't look 100% either. And then Evan Ingram, he was out for the opener, and they're hoping that they can get him in for this. But Joe Judge said today that he's been doing more work. He's making a lot of jumps. They're hoping that he can start on Thursday, but... Otherwise, you have Kyle Rudolph getting most of the work out there. So really, it's just Sterling Shepard 
who stood out in that game. And then Daniel Jones, he has the fumble. That doesn't help anything. It's his 30th career fumble. It's 40th career turnover. The only thing I will say that I liked about the Giants is the fact that their offensive line played a little bit better than I thought they would. Uh, I feel like that was a major sticking point for them last year. They didn't really address it in the offseason or in the draft, but they looked okay. And their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, is one player that really gets a lot of heat. He did not look good his rookie season. He did not look good in the preseason, and he actually played okay last week. Yeah, he actually got his highest pass blocking grade of his career, which I, you know, I'm not saying that's a feat beyond feats because there weren't a lot of high grades to begin with, but the other thing, the positive I would point out for the Giants, too, is I think um, they're a team built to stop the run. That's a very Dave Gettleman-esque um, scenario. But Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Austin Jackson, I mean, these guys, you know, they're like dudes that are eating like giant plates of like fish and ox meat every day. They're beefy. It's a big line. And like maybe if you're Antonio, I think Antonio, Antonio Gibson looked great to me last week. Like if you can shut him down, um, if you can cause a turnover in the run game, I think this game will be close. Um, as for Heineke, I, I kind of super enjoy watching him. So I, I hear you on Fitzy, and especially from having him come sit up with you. Um, when did he just become the Fitzy? Game? Now he's yeah, just that's Fitzy. New. That's, that's like here? this. I think it, it, I, it's I always been said on this podcast over and over, and I, I don't know if I've heard that. That's well, I, I, got have the call him, I have to call him Fitzpatrick. I have to say the whole Fitz name. Fitzmagic. So Ryan. Well, the magic rifle. is not happening when you're on, you he know, you're undergoing the knife. So Heineke's got a lot of Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he's got a lot of Fitzpatrick too. Uh, Dan, I know you're excited about that. The the fangs are coming out in New York for Jason Garrett. I think it's like every the the media like held off one game, and now now them and the fans are kind of like who like this is not what we need, Jason Garrett. Well, you know the Garrett haters, they're strong. I've never been as anti Garrett as you are and and others, but. Uh, listen, when Daniel Jones is your quarterback and Saquon blows out his knee like three weeks into your first uh, year on the job, I don't know who's going to fix that offense. But uh, yeah, they probably could go with more fresh thinking if this doesn't work out. Um, Let's pick the game and then we have a big announcement to make. Oh, wow. Okay. I I think Washington's the better team. Uh, They're at home. It's on a short week. So are we doing scores too? Sure. Washington 21-14. Ooh, wow. Washington's favored by three and a half in this game. So uh, I'm going to try to thread the needle here. Washington gets the win, but it's just like a one point seventeen sixteen defensive slugfest. And I'm also going to predict Chase Young is the man on the podium uh, after the game with Connie. Mm. Mm, what he's about, not what bad looking got, around the set, the set rather. Connie, what can you promise me, okay. can you promise me one thing, Connie? Yes. If the Reds, if Ooh. the Washington football team rolls, <laughs> And Montez Sweat and Chase Young kick ass. Young and Sweaty! And you get them up on the dais. Will you introduce them as Young and Sweaty? Promise me that. Because that's what we need. Or, to or introduce it as a possible I, thing. Giving Dan the credit, I will come too. through. And if they're, if they're on the show... Uh, post game, I will get in a young and sweaty reference. For what you. if it's just Hold one on of here. them? Do you get out of it, or can you introduce the young one and half sweaty of young and sweaty? If it's, yeah, if it's only half of them, Ooh. if it's young, because young I, is I, the more likely one. In a column, column today, I actually mentioned young and sweaty, but I, right after it, said that it was a catchphrase um, that is in process, cooked up by Dan Hansis. <laughs> Are you going to drop young and sweaty, Colleen? But not also mention its creator. That would be blasphemous. Don't need it. 
That's okay. Oh, don't no. Don't worry. Dan will be mentioned. If I'm mentioning <laughs> young and sweaty, I'm not not mentioning Dan Hansen. Well, twist oh. my arm. Good idea. Uh, Mark, your pick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I picked it for the, uh, the site and I don't remember what I picked, but I'm going to go with, um, well, I picked Washington. I just remember the score 26 to 17. And I think Chase Young, wow. uh, has three and a half sacks in this game. All right. And I'll pick the giants here just because the NFC East is weird. And I just kind of have a feeling that giants defense that we were just talking about didn't really show up last week shows up and confuses the young Heineke. Let's call it 21 to 10. G-man. swept them last year the giants won both those games last mm-hmm. year close games Joe judge has their number all right connie stick around here big announcement okay. um the around the nfl podcast is proud to announce that for the third time we will be going to london how about <gasps> that the atm podcast is off to london Woo! next month less than a month from now and just a little cherry on top for the old Zeuser. It will be for the week five matchup between the Atlanta Falcons and the New York Jets. The boy who will lead them in the land of the queen. This is going to be great. I'm so jealous. That sounds right. like I know, so I didn't know if fun. Connie was hoping to hear like a second park and it's like, second part where it's like and you're coming with us no. yeah sorry we didn't we didn't get a ticket going. for you wait connie you do have uh, like eight trillion frequent flyer miles because of your job right I can do. you join us because we well, she does have so a the, job though yeah i know but come on the fans out there uh, who have always been so incredibly kind to us in the uk it's it's been a lifeblood of this podcast and we love you and we can't wait to be out there with you we're going to try to cook up some stuff to interface with the fan base. Uh, but if, but <laughs> if interface, we would with like to interface human with humans interface with other humanoids. What um, are we doing? Like a Reddit? Uh, ask me anything. <laughs> but imagine tiny boxes with us. I mean, I would love, 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 love to go. I, London is one of my favorite places. I did an ATN meetup there one time without you guys. It was so much fun. <laughs> But I have to do the pregame show that day for that game. So I'll be well, in also, studio. I mean, Connie, well, wouldn't you that know, be a great place to do it at the game? I know. No, I it agree. wouldn't, first of all. But like you, um, you, like you know that we'd cook you into about 14 hours of extra work and planning that you weren't preparing for. I will note one thing. Um, for the second time in a row, it will, and this doesn't matter to anyone, but like it will actually be my birthday while there. So I continue to build on life experiences that are not shared with my actual nuclear family um, but yet with you guys. Hey, football is family, Mark. That's, That's what they're right. telling me. It's not always. Um, I mean, I like that you're positioning this as if it's something you're you're so you know strongly upset about. I'm not you're upset. I'm man, just. I'm, it's just. A, it's a fat. Well, no, I, I'm shifting into the mode where like a a single woman in her late 30s, you celebrate <laughs> your birthday for like a full month with like 18 to 19 <laughs> events. So. <laughs> Well, you heard that, England. If we, if uh, you guys have the time, it's only less than four weeks, but start those celebration plans for Mark Sessler because he is coming to town. All right, that's great. How fun is that? Well, how lucky I are we? I love that. We'll send out more info. Yeah, and all this stuff. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a nice show. We'll we'll do lots of things. Hopefully. And a special uh, preemptive thank you to Henry Hodson, the vice president of international all the people over at the nfl uk office nick pike and the whole gang and also sky sports who we've had a great relationship with for years we are not going back over there um if not for all of those people 
uh, and those um, departments. So thank you to everybody. Uh, we will interface with you as well when the time comes. Yeah. Oh, 800 hours. <laughs> and we we didn't say it, but we're we're back on Sky Sports. You can watch that in the UK, but you can watch that all over the world. If you get your uh, Sky Sports NFL package, we'll be doing hits throughout uh, every Sunday. Little, you know, I mean, it's just an endless self-promotion. Endless. Well, it's endless. Look at me. Content. It. They just you know. made it to uh, hour 15, you know, 115 of this show. They might want they might be curious. They might uh, they might want or they might have had more than enough. I mean, I'm just saying that there are different types of people out there. So, and remember, do you guys want to plug Mark's your birthday. side pods? Well, we side do pod. that often. Yeah, Dude, maybe quite I should often. Get, I should get Bob out there in England. We'll do a uh, remote throwback <laughs> podcast. Isn't Bob, Bob a little? London. I thought Hashtag. Bob was anti ATN uh, podcast at the moment. Is he shifted off that? I don't know. It's he's a little salty about my promotion promotional efforts. I'm not like Greg, who's like JRVP every. Oh second. yeah, that's right. Even people right. eating up, eating up precious moments of the show, talking about his other show. I, mean, I like how, it, Greg. I'm glad you did. How it's precious it is it? How precious are these moments? <laughs> I don't know. Really, just, as I'm we hit like I'm sorry minute here for 78. This. Yeah. <laughs> minute 78. Um, all right. And Ricky, you're excited for London too, I imagine. Oh, I'm so excited. We've been going back and forth with the UK office and there's a lot of planning to do, which I'm so excited about, but I can't believe we're getting back over. It's just going to be the your four of there. us. Hollywood. Yes. Ton. Ricky, we can hang up? out when I'm when I'm there. I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> How's your What's... podcast going? Is that off the ground yet? The old uh, split ends pod with split Ricky ends. And split ends. That's coming out in a couple of weeks. I think our launch date is October fourth. Ooh, is it it's October fifth? I get. A, I bet our podcast gets to China before that podcast begins. Well, we'll see. <laughs> We've got iHeartRadio behind it, so we'll see what happens. But right. what could go wrong? Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you, Connie. Check out Thursday Night Football, of course, NFL Network, and Connie is anchoring that coverage um, pre, halftime, post. She's a stud. All right. Oh, we'll yeah. be back on Thursday uh, with our Week 2 preview podcast. And, of course, Friday, NFL Network, the true Around the NFL uh, show where we dig in on all 32 teams. And yes, we're on to London in less than four weeks. Watch the Jets. Life life is filled with ups and downs. But on balance, it's good. That's a winnable game, Danny. That's a winnable Mm -hmm. game. I'm making the Jets the favorite right now. Here we go. Keep it calm.